0: Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from the Lancet Neurology. I'm Richard Lane. This month, January 2015, we're going to be discussing a review about pediatric stroke. Here is our guest author introducing herself.
1: Dr. Gabrielle De Weber. I'm a pediatric neurologist at the Hospital for Sick Children and a professor of pediatrics at University of Toronto, and I'm a senior scientist at the Hospital for Sick Children Research Institute.
0: Professor Gabrielle de Weber, many thanks indeed for talking to the Lancet Neurology. You're one of the authors of a review in the January issue of the Lancet Neurology, and this concerns pediatric stroke. Many people think of stroke as a condition affecting adults, but how common is stroke in children?
1: Well, um, in our experience and in our uh, research studies, we've shown that it's certainly not as rare as it was once thought to be. In particular in newborn babies which represent about 25% of children with stroke, it's uh, fairly common as newborn diseases go. So we know that it affects about 1 in 3000 live births. When it comes to beyond the newborn period, infancy in that first uh year or two of life is another high risk period and across the pediatric years up to age 18, we know that all types of stroke is about five or six per 100,000 children per year. If you split that into the two types of stroke that we recognize primarily, and that are those are vaso stroke, where a blood clot occludes an artery or a vein, that we call ischemic stroke. And then the other type of stroke we call hemorrhagic stroke is where a artery or vein ruptures and blood Leaves the circulatory system and extravasates into brain, causing damage. If you look at ischemic stroke, which is what our article and most of our work in in this field has been based in, the rate of ischemic stroke in children is about two per hundred thousand children per year. About one-fiftieth is common as adult stroke. But we always make the point that although it's a relatively rare form of stroke, the impact is substantial because the death rate from stroke is about 5%. And of the remaining 95% who survive, approximately 50% go on to have some form of a disability, usually weakness on one side of the body. And when we consider that most of these children will lead a normal uh, lifespan, it really becomes a big impact when you think about seven or eight decades of disability and how that affects the individual, the family, and society at large.
0: What do we know about the underlying causes of infant and childhood stroke? Do the risk factors differ compared with uh, adult stroke?
1: Probably the commonest single risk factor that we know of is similar for both newborns and children, and that is stroke due to congenital heart disease. So babies born with a structural abnormality in their heart, say a large hole in the heart or perhaps a um, malformation of the aorta and the other vessels as they leave the heart, those children are at substantial risk of having a blood clot go into one of the arteries in the brain and cause an arterial ischemic stroke. That is the case for about one in four of our newborn strokes, and also for about one in four of our children beyond the newborn period who have stroke. And those cardiac strokes occur spontaneously because of um, malformations in the heart causing clots to form in the heart, or they occur at the time of a procedure, which is life-saving in many cases. So cardiac surgery, or cardiac catheterization, or even these ventricular assistive devices, which, as I said, are life-saving for these children, can have an unfortunate consequence, and that is clock going to brain. So about half of our children who have a stroke um, and the newborns have a stroke due to um, or related to a procedure. We know in those babies and those children that they don't just have the one stroke, they are at substantial risk for recurrent strokes over time, as many as 15 to 20%. Whether you're a newborn or a child at the time of your first stroke will go on to more strokes despite our best efforts to prevent that with antithrombotic treatment. Other risk factors do differ across the um, ages. So for babies with stroke, um, often it's believed that there's a placental clot that forms on the baby's side, either spontaneously or related to coriomniitis or some infection or other disorder in the placenta. Those clots then uh, dislodge and enter the baby's circulation. And as as we all know, in the baby, especially unborn baby, the blood easily travels from the venous circulation to the arterial side in the baby, unlike in the fully formed uh, child or adult. So this ability for clots to come from the venous circulation and go to brain, or paradoxical embolism as we call it, um, probably explains why so many babies are uh, subject to stroke.
0: And how is stroke detected and managed in infants and young children? Are safe and effective treatments available?
1: Yes. Safe and effective treatments are available. Um, Aspirin as a preventative treatment for recurrent stroke is widely used and well-known to be safe. Uh, Heparin and other anticoagulants are also widely used and known to be safe now. We have good studies supporting
0: that. What about the underlying mechanisms? What do we know about the underlying mechanisms and presumably a better understanding of mechanisms would lead to better treatments in the future?
1: Yes, I think you're right. If we can untangle the mechanisms of stroke in each individual child, we have a better chance at finding treatments to prevent more strokes. So the mechanisms basically fall into three camps. One is arterial uh, wall disorders. So whether it's a dissection of the artery or a inflammatory attack on the artery wall in the brain, those would be called arteriopathies. And the second disorder is that which we mentioned earlier, and that's cardiac disorders. And then the third big category is prothrombotic or coagulation abnormalities. And then laying over all three of those are acute systemic illnesses. We've recently shown that infection uh, creates a six-fold increase in the risk of stroke. So even the flu or the common cold uh, in the week prior to stroke is six times more common than in normal children. And then dehydrating illnesses, things that cause your blood to thicken, also add on to those.
0: So could more be done to prevent childhood stroke, do you think?
1: That's really where all of us hope our research will succeed, is in finding the mechanisms and treating more effectively to prevent either the first stroke or recurrent stroke. In terms of preventing a first stroke, there are only a certain population of children that will realistically be Um, available for that and that would be children with cardiac disorders in whom we could treat more aggressively or define which ones are more likely to have a stroke at the time of a procedure and try and prevent that first stroke and potentially newborn babies would be another uh, category of stroke where we may be able to treat mothers who are at risk for having these babies close to the time of delivery in some way to prevent those strokes from happening. For the rest of um, children with stroke, particularly those that are perfectly healthy children at the time of their first stroke, prevention of the first stroke is probably not realistic, but very importantly, prevention of the second stroke can be done. We know that if you don't use aspirin or anticoagulants, children have about a 50% risk of recurrent stroke once they're past the newborn period. Newborns do not have a risk of recurrent stroke other than cardiac, and we don't need to treat them. But it's very important in children with stroke that we treat them with either aspirin or anticoagulants. Which one is more effective? We don't know yet, and we need more clinical trials, and that's what we're building towards so that we can test those two antiplatelet agents versus anticoagulant agents against each other and see in which situations is the one or the other more effective.
0: And finally, Professor De Weber you say in your review, don't you, that natural outcomes, generally speaking, are better after childhood stroke than for adult stroke. Is that right? And, and if so, what steps could be taken, both in terms of research or, or clinical management, to actually improve the quality of life after childhood stroke, do you think?
1: Yes, I think children do have a better outcome. We know that the death rate from stroke is lower and we know that the rate of disability long term is also lower, yet they still have a very significant burden after stroke and quality of life is one of the biggest problems that they have. Where we may look at the hemiparesis and think that must be the big problem, children and their families will point to ability to socialize well as being a bigger problem than the weakness. I think there needs to be multidisciplinary teams with occupational therapy, social work, psychology and neurology all bringing to bear their expertise on these children who are left with these sometimes profound deficits to try and teach them ways of getting past their disability and living as full and normal a life as they can. One of the joys of working with children is that they tend to do that on their own very often, especially young children. They don't know they're supposed to be ill. They don't know that something drastic has happened to them, and they they fight through life in a very a really well balanced way, and often are their their own best therapists. So that's been one of the gratifying things. But they still need a helping hand along the way.
0: It's a fascinating area, something uh, that uh, I'm sure is is very much overlooked. Childhood stroke. So it's terrific that uh, your review is being published and that we're talking about it now. So. Professor Gabrielle de Weber on the line from Toronto. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Neurology.
1: It's a pleasure and thank you for publishing the review
0: in this topic. And many thanks to you for listening. See you next time.